the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Pro-America Report. And so today we shall talk about fake news, but fake news to show how corrupt the worldview is of the... um, of the American uh, media and big tech. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. It is, of course, a recall. The recall is happening in California. And I'm going to, in honor of that, uh, play uh, yet again the great interview I had with Larry Elder a few weeks ago. So we'll play that in a few moments. It's 21 minutes. It gives you a great context for him. I tell you, I did a TV interview earlier today. It was infuriating infuriating to be on a TV station and have someone say an African-American Democrat from California. And he said, oh, you know, uh, Larry Elder is a terrible man. You know, one of the worst things that happens in politics is when people make these attacks, not just personal. It's one thing to make an attack a personal, meaning like Nancy Pelosi's worth $150 million, she and her husband. Why is that? Well, that's a personal attack. It's not about policy. And I think that's legit. But when you say something like so-and-so is a terrible person and you don't know him, you in fact, all you know is what's reported. And I, I mean, I can't imagine the guy that was commenting knows him well enough to say he's a terrible man. That's really one of the things that is just despicable about what's gone on in this country. And it's terrible and it's demeaning and it's not worthy of what who we are. So that was annoying to me and made me infuriated. But anyway, um, so we'll, we'll play the Larry Elder uh, um, play the Larry Elder interviews, and you will be most pleased. All right, and, and by the way, I hope you're tracking what I told you uh, yesterday was the Antony Blinken. Uh, that today he was before uh, the Senate, and uh, on Monday he was before the House. On Tuesday he was before the U.S. Senate, and he's just a disaster. This time he was at least in person. The House uh, interview he didn't want to do it in person. He did it from. Uh, his office, which I, I, if I was the house, I'd be so annoyed. Why do you get to say that? And I, I don't know. It's just probably because the senators can demand it, I guess. But anyway, it was, it, watch that. Antony Blinken. But here's what I want to talk about. I, uh, there is a new book that's about to come out by uh, Woodward of Woodward and Bernstein, Bob Woodward. About every year or so, he puts a book out. And this time he's got Robert C- uh, Costa, who is, I think, uh, I don't know, is he PBS and uh, Politico, whatever, Washington Post, I guess. And they got a book coming out. Now, first of all, uh, Woodward, to me, is at this point a caricature of himself. I mean, he is no longer a, a groundbreaking journalist. He just pumps out books. And in my opinion, they're fa- full of fake news. There are all sorts of he goes and gets people to say things. And then he writes it as if that's the truth. Here's an example. He writes about Dan Quayle giving advice to Mike Pence, saying Mike Pence has no choice on January 6th. Well, isn't that convenient? I mean, I, I, first of all, why does Dan Quayle matter? But it's convenient because it sounds like then it's uh, everybody else is against uh, the the wisdom of Dan Quayle and Bob and Bob Woodward probably mocked uh, a Quayle back in the day as much as anybody. So this is the kind of thing they do. But here's the one here's the one story the, the story that I want to get to. And there were a bunch of other ones. There's another tell-all book coming out uh, about um, the uh, f- former uh, press secretary to um, uh, Melania Trump. 
I forget her name now, Stephanie Grisham might be her name, and she quit on January 6th. Now, the people that quit on January 6th or a day or two later, to me, were the worst kinds of people because they basically took all the benefit of working for the president of the United States, and then they quit when it was sort of convenient, and they could do it in a way that would get them sort of lionized. She, Stephanie Grisham likely has a book deal because she quit in disgust, she said. And then she, then the book people were like, oh, good, we can get her to write stuff. And they actually quote her, and they're quoting her in other stories, that she's the definitive person talking about Melania Trump and saying all these things that Melania Trump did or didn't do and wouldn't, wouldn't want. And, and one of them is on election night, which if you've ever been an election night as a candidate or a candidate spouse, and I've ran for office, I ran for office twice, and so I, I don't know my wife's if she would say the same thing, but it's an exhausting day. And then by design, you know you have to stay up until midnight or one o'clock because there's going to be this party slash concession, a celebration party or concession. And so it's a terribly long day. Barack Obama, I think, was the one who had a tradition. He always played basketball on that day because there's not much you can really do. You make an appearance, you vote, and it is exhausting. And so the big story Stephanie Grisham has is that Melania Trump was sleeping on election night. Well, Knowing that you had to go out and give a stand next to your husband in the front of the world stage, that's probably the better part of wisdom. That's probably the thing you should do is go and take a nap. But anyway, it's oh, she was uh, she's this and that's the other thing. I mean, it's just it's crazy season. It's crazy season. But here's what I want to talk about. One of the things that Woodward is reporting in his new book and it's leaked excerpts. And I don't believe any of this is true. I don't believe anything that Woodward, I, I, I don't believe anything that Bob Woodward in his books is saying is true. He always has quotes from people. I just don't believe it because I just think that there's lots of fake news. And it's, you know, it's it's a year plus after uh, Trump. Uh, well, I guess it's just about a year from the election and they're still writing books about Trump. What about Biden? What about Biden sleeping in the afternoon or Biden drooling on himself or something? But no, they're still writing about Trump, which just goes to show that Trump uh, uh, selling Trump stuff is uh, big business. But back to my point, I don't believe anything in these fake news books. But here's the, what I want to talk about is the reaction. So one of the quotes, one of the st- uh, storylines in the book is that uh, General Milley, who continues to be the chief, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of all the military in the government. So he works with, he's the military head working with the Secretary of Defense and the President. And General Milley, who was there under Trump, it is reported by, by, uh, uh, by Woodward and Costa that he told the Chinese that he would not let anything happen if he would give them a heads up if there was any kind of nuclear attack. And it's reported that Milley was so concerned about Donald Trump that he he took it unto himself to develop an extra constitutional strategy to protect America and the world from Donald Trump by securing the nuclear codes and the nuclear protocols so that he could call the Chinese regime and warn them. Now, It sounds like a movie script, right? Which is what Woodward and Costa are doing. But the reaction in the community is not, oh my gosh, that was a coup and treasonous by Millie. It's, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? What a wonderful guy. What an amazing thing. And sometimes some of it's tempered. Some people are saying that's a little bit much. But imagine if, imagine if, you had a, um, a President Obama in his last days, and one of the generals who didn't like him said, we're not going to let him have the nuclear codes. We're going to warn the, uh, the, uh, 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 the Chinese if there's anything going on. I mean, it is treasonous. If it were true, which I don't believe it's true, let me be clear. I don't believe it's true. 
I think Woodward and Bernstein makes uh, Woodward and Costa make stuff up. So uh, my I do not have any confidence that I can trust them. So I'm not taking it as true. Instead, though, I'm I'm agreeing that if it were true, how is the reaction from the media anything but absolutely insane devastation that we had a, a military coup? We have, if it's true, we have a military coup. Shouldn't the next question from all the journalists be, General Milley, did you do that? General Milley, did you have any strategy to do that? And if you did, how do you explain that the U.S. Constitution doesn't allow that? How do you explain the, the problem of a non-elected general taking into his own hands this role? I mean, it's absolutely stunning that the media is not swarming the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the General of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to find out exactly what happened. Because that is an insurrection. That is treason. There's no two ways about it. General Milley, if it were true, again, I don't believe it's true, he just committed treason. He just committed insurrection. He went outside the Constitution because he decided, not the voters, not anybody else, that he knew better than everybody else and he was going to do this. That's one of the most extraordinary reports. And again, the report is such that it's not being contradicted so far by General Milley in a way that makes it clear. And more importantly, the journalists are like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, you had to worry about Trump. You had to worry about Trump. I mean, that's really serious. You had to worry about Trump. I, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. It should be devastating. Millie should be gone. This week should be the resignation of Millie. And I wonder, by the way, if Blinken's people didn't leak this about Millie. Because I told you, Blinken is on the ropes because of his testimony, which is so weak. And I thought, well, and maybe he's leaked it. Maybe Blinken's people are leaking this to try to get Millie to be the one who has to walk the plank. And don't forget, by the way, if Millie resigned tomorrow, he would have a book deal probably worth $10 million dollars. A tell-all about how Trump did this and Trump did that. And it was Trump that didn't give them a chance to save Afghanistan and blah, blah, blah. So whoever walks the plank first is going to have a very rich future. They're going to have to be lying, thieving weasels. But they've already shown there was a willingness there. But again, my response is, if if it's true what Woodward says, why isn't the a stab, why isn't all of America up in arms over a near coup by a general? That's supposed to happen in the third world, not America. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Larry Elder interviews. I'm Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I used to, I used to when I very first started out in radio uh, a couple of years ago in this on the Salem Radio Network, Larry Elder would come on my show to keep me going. I think he was uh, very kind to me. And even more, I'm going to get to this in a minute. He wrote a book that was a really big deal for me in my life. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, a award-winning, successful radio host, he's decided it's time to step into uh, politics and is running in the recall election. Welcome, Larry. How are you? Ed, thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. I've been a, a professional politician now for all of two weeks, so give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're all swamped up. You're covered in swamp. Now that's, but that's the best question, Larry. You're a well-adjusted human being by most accounts. People that know you say you have fun. You live like a normal person. You have a lot of opinions. You're all this. Why are you doing this? 
You know, at first when I was approached by people I respect, like Dennis Prager, uh, my colleague at Salem, uh, by people like a woman named Jenny Sand, who's a local activist, uh, she kept writing me and writing me and writing me and sending me all sorts of stuff on on how I could get elected and why I should get elected. And I kept ignoring all of this. I have a friend named Pastor Jack Hibbs, my pastor. He made the same argument. Another longtime friend named Lionel Chetwin, he's a longtime filmmaker. They all approached me different times, and they all urged me to run. And each time I pushed back. And then I thought what I would do, Ed, is ask normal people. I asked my barber, <laughs> I asked the, the grocer, I asked the person where I take my laundry. And I kept waiting for somebody to say, what you just now said, are you nuts? You have a good life. Uh, you're making some money. Uh, you're not having your personal life exposed as you would in the politics. What are you thinking about? Nobody said that. And most people right. said, right. You know, why, why not you? You're from California. You've been talking about these issues for 27 years. You're known up and down the state. I'm on in every major market uh, in California, from Sacramento down to San Diego. I've been writing about these issues. I'm a syndicated columnist. My column is carried in the largest newspaper in the Valley, LA Daily News. It's carried in the Orange County Register. If not you, who? If not now, when? And little by little, I began to think that way. And so now I'm in this thing to win it. But I never, ever, ever thought I'd be going into politics. The last time I ran for anything was fifth grade class president. Uh, and, I, and I took three out of four <laughs> roles. They're still cleaning up the blood. It was a, it was a landslide. <laughs> but, uh, I, I love it. I love it. And, and Ed, when people tell me, well, Larry, what, 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 do you, what do you bring to the table? You never run for, you never had any political experience. And I go, yeah. And the guy right now, Gavin Newsom, he's been governor for two years. We have rising crime, rising homelessness. Uh, he shut down the state in a more severe way than any of the other 49 governors did while flouting the very mandates that he imposed, sitting at that famous French laundry restaurant with the very people that pushed that put together the mandates, not wearing masks, not socially distancing, having his own uh, uh, children enjoying in-person private education, exempting his own um, uh, business from the uh, from the mandates. And I look at the rising outrageous cost of living. The average price of a home in California is $800,000, 150% more than the average price of a home in America. And one of the frequent guests I have on my radio show, you probably heard him, his name is Leo Haney, and he's a professor at UCLA. He says the average price of a home yep. in California is 50% more than it would be but for rules and, and regulations uh, that jack up the price of homes. So I started looking at all these things, homelessness and crime, uh, and the declining quality of public education for crime out loud, 75% of black boys in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency, and those levels are not high. Nearly 50% of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to a high school called Crenshaw High School. If you saw the movie Boys in the Hood, that's my high school. Only 2% of kids at Crenshaw are math proficient. 2%. Now, who sends their kid to a school where only 2% of kids are math proficient if they have an option out? The teachers union opposes choice. That's one of the big things that will happen if and when I'm lucky enough to become governor. I support choice. The money should follow the child rather than the other way around. So parents can determine whether they want to send their kid to a public school or a charter school or a religious school or a private school. So for all those reasons, I decided to run. We're talking with Larry Elder again, uh, the great Larry Elder, radio host before he became a politician just days ago, so don't hold that against him. Uh, Larry, I want to pause. <laughs> you mentioned you went to Crenshaw, Crenshaw, Crenshaw High School, and you're, right. you're, and you're a self-made guy. Now, I want to tell people because one of the most important things about our friendship, I'd say, is you told me about a book that you wrote, and, and the book is out uh, two different versions, a lot like me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation, about your dad and how right. he how he worked and who he was and how you reconciled and I've heard you talk about families and 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 all 
Larry, and it meant so much to me because I have sons now and I have daughters also, and I've, I, learned, I, I learned about myself through it. But Larry, there's so much broken in the country and in California. So many people have been taught wrong or, or been cooped up. I mean, it, it, one of the things I think that's powerful about you running is not just that you're not a politician, but kind of the man you are and, and, and what your dad taught you and how, how your life turned out. And in some ways, people just need hope. They need to actually believe right. it can be better and somebody can do it. Absolutely. My father uh, and I did not get along. That's what the book is all about. I thought my father was mean and, and cruel and spanked us too often and too harshly. And unfortunately, the SOB started a little cafe when I'm 10 years old, so now I've got to work for him. So I'm working for him <laughs> for five years, and he's yelling at me and screaming at me in front of people. It's a little diner. When I say restaurant, it sounds like some highfalutin thing. It's not. It's a little diner. Uh, it served uh, breakfasts and lunches. And everybody can see everything going on in the restaurant. And I'm 15 years old, and my dad yelled at me. And for the first time, I decided to, decided to defy him. And I literally walked out of the restaurant, full of, uh, of, of, of patrons. The, the waitress had called in sick. So my dad had to deal with all these people by himself. He came home, and Ed, he was steamed. And he said, why did you leave? And I said, Dad, I got sick and tired of the way you spoke to me, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. Now, that was an act of defiance that my father had never seen. He paid me $10 a day plus tips. He threw it at me as I lay on the bed. He walked out of my bedroom, and we did not have another conversation for 10 years. And when I say not another conversation, wow. I mean not even do you think it's going to rain? How about those Dodgers? What about the Rams? Nothing. Now, I'm 25 years old. And I just uh, uh, finished uh, law school. I passed the California bar, the Ohio bar. I'm at a big law firm in Cleveland, Ohio, making a great deal of money. I was 25 years old, making the equivalent of around 150K. And I couldn't sleep, Ed. And I knew it had to do with my father. Not that I ever thought we'd become friends or anything or, or, or that I even wanted a relationship with him. But I wanted to be able to sleep, and I knew that was on my mind. So I called my secretary, and I said, cancel all my appointments. I'm flying to L.A., and I'm going to uh, be back in three or four days. I didn't tell my parents I was coming because I didn't want my father to prepare. I went from the airport uh -huh. LAX direct, directly to the restaurant. I walk in at 1.30. They close at 2.30. I had a bag with me. My dad was shocked to see me. He says, I put your bag in the back? I said, no, Dad. I'm only going to be here for five or ten minutes. I want to tell you something. And I intended to tell him what, a, what an SOB I thought he was, and I figured he'd call me an ungrateful son. Then maybe I'd be able to sleep. So my dad and I sat down, <laughs> and we had an eight-hour conversation. And the man told me about his life, and I knew nothing about his life because I didn't give a damn. And for the first time, I saw my father cry. And my father said, you know your last name, Elder? I said, yes. He said, that's not the name of my father. I said, what? Who's Elder? He said, he's the name of some guy that lived in my life the longest. He said, my mother had a series of irresponsible men. She lived off them. Uh, he never met his biological father. And as my dad was telling me this, he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller. I, uh, my dad said she threw him out of the house when he was 13 years old, never to return because he was quarreling with his mom's then boyfriend. And I said, Dad, what, what, what did you do? And for the next eight hours, Ed, he told me about his life, joined the Marines, became a Pullman porter on the trains, came to California on a run, and he was shocked. You could walk into a restaurant in the front door and be served, and this is before the war. And so he made a mental note, maybe someday I'll relocate to L.A., and the war is over. Uh, he met and married my mom in Chattanooga. He couldn't get a job as a, as a cook. They told him we don't hire N-words. He came to California, and they wouldn't hire him either. They said he had no references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. So he took two jobs cleaning <laughs> toilets. 
Uh, and believe it or not, on his income, uh, two jobs, he had a stay-at-home wife, my mother, uh, and she stayed at home until The Last of Us was in middle school. He was able to buy a home in South Central Los Angeles, which right now is still in the family. It's worth $600,000. Uh, somebody working wow. three jobs as an eighth-grade dropout could not duplicate what my dad did because the cost of living has gone so high in California. That's one of the reasons I'm running. But my dad... Uh, always told my brothers and me the following, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You cannot control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you moan and groan about what somebody did to you or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and say to yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he always told my brothers and me, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you deal with those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. If anybody had a reason to blame America and call America systemically racist, it's my father. He never felt that way at all. My Republican dad always said this about the Democratic Party, by the way. Democrats believe, Democrats want to give you something for nothing. And when you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Work hard. <laughs> take advantage of available opportunities, he told my brothers and me. And that's what I've always tried to do. We're talking again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And we're talking with Larry Elder. And by the way, the book, he's talked about this. It's an extraordinary book. I think I read it in one sitting. It's called A Lot Like Me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation. And as you mentioned, it's a conversation went on for eight hours about his father who'd been estranged with. It is extraordinary. Um, Larry, when people listen to you like that and on your radio show, of course, Larry Elder's uh, radio show is rightly famous now. I, I said there in Lakeville, Shapley, for whom I work, she had a, a, a sort of um, a happy warrior mentality, right? A lot is wrong. A lot is wrong. We got a lot of things wrong. And yet you come at it with a sort of happy warrior, a joyful feel. How do you hold that? Because you've had stuff happen in your life. You've had life happen and you wonder, how do you keep that joy? What's at the heart of it? It's, 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 it's not difficult. I mean, my goodness, we were born in America. We hit the lottery and we were born in America. And to be born with two good parents who are hardworking and wanted us to invest in ourselves and realize our potential, I'm beyond blessed. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. And by the way, I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar, electelder.com, electelder.com, because my opponent can raise and spend an unlimited amount of money. I have spending limitations. But the reason I'm running is because of hope and optimism. Uh, in California, uh, we've got all these brainiacs in Silicon Valley. We have a body of water known as the Pacific Ocean, yet we're not building desalination plants. Uh, Israel and Dubai, for crying out loud, have become self-sufficient by building desalination plants. We're not doing that here in California. Uh, we have rolling brownouts because of energy shortages, water shortages, because we've not really added to our infrastructure in almost 40 years. What have people been doing? Instead of uh, telling people to to conserve on water, we ought to be talking about water abundance and how we can store water underground uh, instead of half of it going off into the Pacific Ocean when we do have rainy seasons. So we ought to be looking to hope, looking to future, looking to innovate ourselves out of our problems. And that's what I'm going to strive for if I'm lucky enough to become the next governor of California. Well, and again, we're talking with Larry Elder. And uh, again, I'll put it up there on social media, too. Uh, it is electelder.com is the website. To learn more about Larry, sign up for his uh, emails and also throw some uh, throw some pointed out the governor is allowed to raise as much money as he wants candidates like larry elder are limited um but larry um you the the people i've talked to who talk about this they say in california there's tens of millions of conservatives and common sense thinkers right they may have been democrats in the past they might be republicans they might even libertarians or might be nothing but they're saying to themselves this system this system we're in where we give people you know money newsom gives money out right before an election and all this kind of stuff it's a bad system, right? So how, what is it that you can, what do you think, you know, the first day you're governor, maybe you can't do this, first day you're governor, what's the first thing you're thinking you got to do? 
First thing I'm going to do is declare a statewide emergency on homelessness. One of the reasons why we have homelessness is because of the high cost of living in California. Uh, we don't have low-cost apartments, low-cost housing, because of a law called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, which, by the way, is waived for billionaires like uh, the man that built the, Seac- the Sacramento King Stadium. Somehow, some way, uh, the environmental concerns were waived when they want to, uh, but they don't waive them when regular developers want to build homes. Uh, and I want to get some of these people off the streets. And uh, this is something that churches and, and religious organizations should do. Government can't do it. Uh, and um, uh, many of them are mentally ill, uh, and some of them are schizophrenic, meaning of danger to themselves or to others. And they need to be physically removed from the streets and housed in mental institutions for their protection and for the protection of the rest of the homeless population. But if and when I'm able to do all of this, you still have the problem of the lack of affordable housing. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to suspend CEQA uh, as one of the first acts of my being, uh, my being uh, a governor. I that's a great boy. That's about, a, the, about the declining right. quality of public schools in California. Seventy-five percent of black boys cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I kid you not. And those levels are not high. Uh, and as I mentioned, fifty percent of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. The teachers' union is the largest funder of my opponent, Gavin Newsom. They just gave him one point eight million dollars, by the way. Uh, and they are adamantly opposed to school choice because the teachers are not members of the union and they don't get those automatic union dues. But when you look around the country and you ask. Where, the, where teachers send their own school-age kids. Overwhelmingly, they send their own school-age kids to private schools, where only 10% of families with no public school teachers send their kids to private schools, and 6% of black families do. Now, these are the people that know the school system the best, and not, they're not sending their own school-age kids to those schools. That's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, Ed, hanging up a sign outside saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. Yeah, it's uh, it is crazy, and 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 um, well, and those are those are great, uh, Larry. I'm talking, by the way, with Larry Elder. And again, please go visit electelder.com. Electelder.com. Larry Elder is running uh, for in the recall. Um, Larry, about the recall. I don't know if I got this right. Is 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 the election going to be all mail-in ballots, or are they just going to mail ballots? But you can also vote in person. Well, you, you can go in person, but they're going to send ballots to every single eligible voter. Uh, and you have the option of voting mail-in or have the option of going in physically uh, and voting. But my suspicion is most people are going to respond by mail-in. And by the way, the ballots go out on August the 14th, even though the election is September the 14th. By the time September the 14th rolls around, it's almost going to be anticlimactic. Um, and that's right. one of the reasons I need, I need so much money. Uh, and that's, you know, we, you need to run ads up and down the state in California TV and, and print ads. Uh, but it's a, it's a two-step deal. It's very simple. The ballot says, do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? If 50% plus one says yes, the next, next part of it is, who do you want to replace him? Now, we won't know whether or not 50% plus one said yes until the state uh, Secretary of State certifies the election. But on that ballot, it's very simple. Do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? Who should replace him? If 50% plus one voter recalls him, whoever gets the greatest number of votes to replace him will become the next governor of California. And right now, I am substantially ahead of my Republican rivals, although I will support anybody over Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Electelder.com is the website. Larry, how do you, how do you envision protecting uh, from voter fraud? I mean, it's almost at this point, Democrats are scared of how badly Biden is doing in the White House, how badly yeah. Gavin Newsom's doing. Yeah. How, what's your, what, is your, what are you going to do to stop the voter fraud? Can you... Good, go good lawyers. 
good lawyers. And remember, uh, I don't know if you know that they tried to keep me off the ballot when I first uh, announced. They, they, there's a law that requires you to turn yeah. over five years of your tax returns. You have to turn over two, two sets of two copies identical. And I will admit that with a screw up on our part, we turned in 150 pages and 143 pages. Don't ask me why seven pages were missing. But you, they had all seven pages in the first set. They could have easily corrected it. The Secretary of State decided not to. And so my name was off the ballot. So we had to sue them. Uh, it went all the way up to, uh, to a judge, and the judge, within 15 minutes, said, A, the law doesn't even apply to recall elections, and B, Mr. Elder substantially complied, and as a result, I was put on the ballot. I told my lawyer, who's brilliant, uh, my cousin Vinny could win this, could win this case. He said, okay, go hire my cousin Vinny and see what happens. I said, okay, okay, I take it back, I take it back. <laughs> Uh, so you think so you're th- but you, I guess what can people do other than go to uh, electelder.com and give you some money because you got to hire the lawyers I mean is that the best at this point the best thing I mean I hate to say it but we, you probably have to win by more than they can steal and maybe that's going to happen because we're worried about everybody everybody I talk to is worried about that the California election because it's mail-in a lot of it they're just going to run the numbers the way they want well, all I know is this. There was a ballot initiative called uh, Proposition 16, uh, which would re- repeal another ballot initiative that said you cannot use race as a factor in college admissions, uh, in contracting, uh, and in, uh, in hiring for state jobs. Uh, the no side that says we don't want race used, we want this to be a colorblind deal, was outspent 20 to 1, and they still won, despite allegations uh, that there might be election fraud. So I think that common sense will prevail. Uh, the, the rising crime has no color. Uh, rising homelessness has no color. The outrageous cost of living has no color. The way this man shut down this, uh, this state while ignoring the science has no color. And I think there are going to be a whole bunch of men and women, many of whom are Democrats and independents, that are going to vote to throw this guy out, whether or not there might be voter fraud or not. I think there will be so many people that, that any kind of shenanigans will be overcome. Do you think, Larry, the last line of questions here, again, we're talking with Larry Elder. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Larry, do you think that the um, – You've been around politics a long time, and you're a, you, you're a big-time lawyer at a big firm. Is this the worst we've been in terms of American politicians, both parties, in a way? Um, or, or is it ebbing and flowing? I mean, do you feel like, again, you're a joyful warrior. You're a guy that doesn't get down, at least uh, sometimes you get angry, but you don't get down. Are we at right. the bottom in, in terms of the, the, the quality and the caliber of these people in office? Well, when after the election of the first black president and the re-election of this black president, despite presiding over the worst economic recovery since 1949, I thought this business of systemic racism was dead. It is not. And that's because the Democrats know that Donald Trump increased the percentage of black vote from 8% in 2016 to 12 to 20% in 2020. That's a 50% increase. It gets to about 15%, 17%, and Democrats know that they are toast. So they're doubling down on calling uh, white people people oppressors and calling black people victims. They're doubling down on crap like, like uh, critical race theory and reparations, doubling down on, re- on referring to police officers, despite evidence to the contrary that they're engaging in systemic racism against black people and are using a, a disproportionate force against black people. As I said, even though study after study after study shows, if anything, the police are more reluctant, more hesitant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. I've never seen this before. So we're at an inflection point, I really do believe. 
It is amazing. All right, Larry Elder, thank you uh, for your time. As always, electelder.com is the website. Go there, sign up so you get on his emails, but also give him a a few shekels so he gets uh, moving and watch these next two months. But remember, August 14th, the California voters, you're going to be able to vote early. You can't wait. Uh, You shouldn't wait. You should get focused. So thanks, Larry, for everything. Good luck and God bless. We're praying for you. And we'll be talking more about the issues that you brought up. It's uh, very important. God bless, Ed. Thank you for, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder. Again, electelder.com. We'll put it up on social media, and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The radical environmentalists now in control of the federal government don't like highways preferring unaffordable mass transit and inefficient green energy projects. They want to divert infrastructure funds to urban entitlement programs and ridiculous pet projects that are just a bottomless pit of wasteful spending. Although touted in the media as providing money for bridges and roads, in fact, the infrastructure bills being faced by Americans would impose a new set of federal controls on how states spend infrastructure money. This means that the radical environmentalists running the Biden administration could block necessary road improvements if arbitrarily deemed by liberals that they might somehow contribute to global warming. The most popular energy solutions being touted by the environmentalists are not solutions at all. Bird killing and landscape blighting wind turbines are hardly eco-friendly. In contrast, the efficient network of interstate highways that span our nation is the envy of the world lowering everyone's shipping costs during the COVID pandemic and supported by drivers who pay federal taxes of 18.3 cents per unleaded gallon and 24.3 cents per gallon of diesel. There is even a federal underground storage tank fee. And the notion that immense new taxes or borrowing is necessary to repair our infrastructure is not what this is really about. Instead, these bills are just another way for the left to candy coat their socialist agenda and railroad it through Congress. The noble idea of conserving our nation's natural resources is an old idea that goes back to the Republican president, Teddy Roosevelt. However, there's a clear reason why Democrats know they have to disguise their environmental agenda as infrastructure. The American people are not willing to get behind their radical ideas. We all want clean air and clean drinking water, but Green New Deal-style bans will not go anywhere as long as we the people have anything to say about it. Conservatives should reclaim our roots as the original party of natural conservation. America is a land of beauty and wonder, and we can protect our national treasures without crippling our economy or trampling on the rights of citizens. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Let's finish up with uh, a word of warning. A word of warning. If you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you will hear 
you can review many interviews I've done with some really good people who talk about the elections and forget about the media trying to say the big lie and all that stuff. Just focus on the fact that we have a problem in this country with confidence in the elections. And now we have a situation in California with uh, after you know, whatever number, 40 million people live there, somewhere around 25 million ballots were mailed out and anecdotal stories of problems, etc. And here's the real wrinkle. Nobody seriously has figured out how to make the system able to be audited in a way that gives you confidence. So at a certain point, you say to yourself, well, if nobody who has the power and the influence to do it will do it, it's that they don't want it, right? I mean, that's not, that's not too hard to figure out. If you, if you have the power and the ability to address the concern, and by the way, it was a Republican, a Democrat concern in 2017, 18, and 19 about how does the system work, what's the reliability, how is it controlled. And after 2020, November, it's been a Republican concern. So there's plenty of concern on all sides. Nobody should want to change the 2020 election anymore. It's too far gone, although we should get to the bottom of it. But what we have to do is have a system where people feel like it works. And I fear that at the end of this recall, you have, again, more doubts. And I, you know, I don't know who to blame. In one sense, it's easy to blame the... Uh, the uh, uh, the Democrat Party in California, they have control. The Democrat Party internationally, they have control. But both parties have allowed this. Both parties have allowed this system to end up where we are. And it is a broken system. It's probably the greatest threat to our republic. That we can have major elections with major national attention, whether an actual national election, presidential, or in this case, the recall. And we can have so little confidence that things have been done fairly, appropriately, with honor and with uh, integrity. And once that becomes the norm and no one will change it, you say to yourself, who are these people? They don't really, as someone said, that if our votes counted, they wouldn't let us vote. That's what it feels like because right now our votes don't count and they're happy to let us vote. They're happy to let us think the system is working when there's no way to tell if it's working. And as someone said, pointed out, if you have a system that doesn't uh, isn't able to be checked, it may not be corrupt the first day, but it's certainly going to be corrupted eventually. Right. Human nature being what it is. So we're in a position where no one has addressed this absolutely stunning problem. The question of how to give us confidence in the elections at this point in history and, you know, we can say, OK, they use covid to change the rules in a lot of states. Uh, they've decided to go with the mail in, uh, you know, uh, ballot harvesting, all that stuff. But at a certain point, both parties, everyone in power, uh, if they care about the future of the republic, should be addressing this problem. They should be willing to say that this problem has to be addressed and has to be addressed right away. So that's what I'm going to watch. I mean, we're going to see. We'll see, uh, you know, when, when we when we watch the, the breakdown of this uh, recall, what is uh, what comes to light. I mean, you know, I did a TV interview earlier today and, and the, my opponent, who is a Democrat, said, admitted that there was somewhere about eighty five million dollars spent for Newsom, somewhere around 40 million spent for the uh, pro recall amongst the, all the different candidates and all. And that's just the money we see. That's not even the dark money. 
So it um, it defies logic. It defies uh, any seriousness of a of a republic that we can't get our elected officials of, of both parties to figure out how to make us believe that the election works. Because the longer we have come to be believing that it doesn't work, the worse it is. I don't think we're more than an election or two away from such a lack of confidence that it's a major impediment for our republic. I'm not going to go too dramatic and, you know, all, all kinds of drama, but I, I think it's pretty bad. I think it's pretty bad. And I think it's, um, it's it, it, again, we had this problem in 2020. I think the Democrats will claim they had the problem in 2016. But no matter what, we ha- we've had it in 2020 and nobody did anything about it. Nobody did anything to change the dynamic for the uh, election and for confidence in the election. It's a, it's a crazy system, crazy to believe we're here. All right, anyway, thank you as always to Noah, our great uh, producer, uh, Joanna, our technical director, everything that uh, everybody did to get the show going. I really enjoy doing the radio show with uh, the election night coverage with Andrea Kay. That was really fun. So uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get all of the um, updates over there at ProAmericaReport.com. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.